We'll do it. Hi, listeners. You're listening to Doth Protest, and James and I are here, even though his screen says Rachel. <laughs> I almost said Rachel. That's his wife's uh-huh. name, and, yeah. and he's he's in her Zoom account. Uh, this is kind of a episode we um, very recently decided to do. Um, as you'll know by the title, we're going to be talking about the, quote, 95 theses to the Episcopal Church, unquote. You probably know 95 theses is something very reformational because obviously it was the uh, document that Luther may have. He definitely wrote them, but may have nailed on a door and um, or he posted it in some form and it got around and it was. But but this is a different 95 theses. So uh, this is something that I saw a friend of a friend of mine shared to me on um, online. He messaged it to me, he sent me a link. And he joked, um, he was like, did you write this? I was like, no, I didn't write that. But I looked at him and uh, I was like, but, you know, I can agree with a lot of these. But um, it was, yeah, it's called the 95 Thesis to the Episcopal Church. And it's from this group that I just heard about when I saw the link called uh, the Episcopal Fellowship for Renewal. And it's episcopalrenewal.org is the URL, the website you can go to and see what they're about. Um. I guess James and James is here with me. I guess James, you and I will talk a little bit about what this group is that I just recently heard about. Mm -hmm. Um, But also we'll go over in, in this episode, we'll plan to do two more. We'll plan to go over these theses that there's 95 of them um, and uh, share our thoughts. Um, Just, and uh, just to give kind of a full uh, disclosure, I was, uh, I looked at, there are people who are signing this. This is a group of lay and clergy who are signing this document, you know, hoping hoping to rate, to to get it around, I guess, similar to the 95 Theses um, <laughs> in Luther's time, but getting it perhaps to general convention possibly, or to just, and, and maybe uh, sending it to all the Episcopal churches. And it's basically a series of statements um, uh, saying, you know, that this is where, we as the church should stand and where and you know where we should not stand uh and it's basically try a, a, an effort to to rescue the episcopal church bring it back to uh orthodoxy uh as as they would see it and i agreed with a lot of what was i and i i, I love the overall intention i liked the theses i did not sign it um because we'll get into why not to, to why i didn't in a, in a moment but um what are your thoughts on it, James? Um, overall, before we get into the actual things, the actual theses. Yeah, so uh, I found out about this last week. Um, and uh, the Episcopal Fellowship for Renewal, which I think is actually, a, the name is a derivation of the renewal movement in the 70s in the Episcopal Church, the Charismatic Renewal. So whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still learning about them for sure. I have read through all 95 theses and I, I gotta say, I mean, the content of them, I think is pretty solid. Um, I'm going to quibble with a few things here and there, but on the whole, I agree with what this, this movement is doing, but I didn't sign either. And part of the reason is because what's in print can never be taken back. Um, 
Are you a chicken? Is that why you didn't sign it, Jay? <laughs> no, no. But I mean, this is a real legitimate thing, right? I mean, um, if I sign on to this, um, there are statements here that I have the courage and my convictions to talk with people in person or even on this, you know, podcast. Yeah. I'm but, joking. I know we we have fully been who we are on this show for sure. Yeah. Right. Well, but, <laughs> but, the, but the concern is that like you sign your name onto this and in all likelihood in a church that is as um, intent on its own path, like the Episcopal church, the people on this list are going to be blackballed. Um, yeah. And I, think that, and I think, you know, we're probably already to some extent blackballed just by, by, affirming the the basic content of you know we're 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 our hearts are with where this group would want to but we just have uh, you know our our hesitancies and our reservations are um there are for several reasons so (laughs) well and and the and the other thing is um and perhaps the slightly more pressing thing is that i'm not signing on to these theses because i don't agree with the tone yes um say say more to that because we had a pre-show conversation um and i and you and you wonderfully articulated what you meant by that um and you didn't want to be condescending in the way you said that either but 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 kind of elaborate on it yeah so so the 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 problem i have with the tone is that it's acerbic it's very very pointed very intense um very uh I mean, it's more than direct. It's kind of punchy. Um, And I don't think that that's the right way to go about this. Um, I'm not trying to engage in um, in ageism or anything. Uh, There's a, the information that I've seen is that these people who are part of this movement tend to be in their late teens, early 20s, and I'm in my early 30s. So I guess mid 30s now. But, uh, you know, I want to I want to lift up these voices, but I also want to encourage them to go about things in such a way that they'll be heard and respected, even if people don't agree. Hmm. But the moment you dip into punchy is the moment that people are just going to write off anything you say as being utterly useless. Um, And that's yeah, that's that's less to do with them and more to do with the people who are hearing. Um. Because in a in a social media age, um, as soon as you see something you disagree with, you know, you'll either engage in ad hominem arguments, you will engage in name calling, or you'll just ignore anything that you don't like. Um, there's no real legitimate discourse anymore in this social media age. Because you always have the distance between your fingertips and the other person across the web. So mm-hmm. you can be just as pointed, just as punchy in your response. And it's not going to, the, the conversation's not going to go anywhere. And, and to be fair, I think a lot of these theses are are, are pretty articulate or are articulate enough. Uh, and I'm not, I know you're not, you're not implying this, James, but I I, right. I, I don't see it in the same vain as as kind of the very impulsive and and dismissive 
comments people will throw at each other on social media. I mean, the, these there was thought put into these theses. Um, and I'm with yeah, you too. So what I, what I meant by that is not that they would be accused of thoughtless uh, commentary. I'm saying that the people who read it are going right. to offer thoughtless commentary. Perception. Yes, these are all very, I, I think, I think there is a way that they could sand down the edges a bit uh, while maintaining the content. Yeah. Sand down the edges. And also it doesn't have to be 95. I know you want to be like reformational and, you know, that's the, to be, you know, 90, but I, I, there was a lot of repetition in some of these. Sure. Two. That would be my critique. It's like, uh, you know, uh, I know we want to, you know, we, we don't have to make it 95. There can, it's okay for there just to be one set of 95 theses ever done. But, right. um, yeah, uh, you know, I, so like you said, I, I too don't want to be, I feel like an old man when I read that, I, when, when I started to hesitate on, on, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to like put my name to this, but I'm glad, you know, it's kind of neat that there are people interested in this and they're they're younger and like you i want to lift up younger voices um and 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 my sympathies and my and my my heart goes out to to them because they're they're recognizing acknowledging the same types of issues we've seen in in mainline protestantism um you know so but but i you know for me too it was like uh, I, you know, there's there's a better way to say these things, and it, and and it's not like because I'm older and more mature. You know, I do think that's part of it, but but it's not. You know, that sounds paternalistic, and right. we don't we don't want to come off that way. But um, you know, as someone who's been in the parish, um, it's not like you know, I remember there are people that'll be like you know, uh, being pastoral means like you know not you know do doctrine has to take a back seat i'm not one of those people uh but i do think when you're when you're pastoral uh th there are ways there's ways to the craft of you know staying true to conviction but also not scaring people off mm -hmm. uh because um because you know you're not you, we need to to listen to and meet people on their terms and 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 love them as we give truth so you know um, that's my two cents, I guess, for what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. But um, just to give a little, so we mentioned, yeah, young people are behind it. The, um, when you, if, and I, I gave you the website earlier, listeners, episcopalrenewal.org. It's put together by someone who, uh, well, it's Jake, and I won't go through, you know, you can see people who've signed it if you go to it, but um, we'll, I'll, I will uh, mention Reverend Jake Dell. Um, who is not, um, <laughs> I'm really digging myself a hole here. He's not, a, he's like our age. He's not a young man. I'm not mm -hmm. saying you're old Jake. And I know Jake, he's an EFAC. Um, he, from what I understand, I, I don't know really the full, um, the, the full details of how this group came together, but it seems like he's a representative of this group. And, um, and the website says Episcopal Fellowship for Renewal is a youth led movement, which has been supported by our chaplain, the Reverend Jake Dell. But again, I know Jake Dell from Evangelical Fellowship and the Anglican Communion, you know, we call EFAC by its acronym. Uh had remember having lunch with him a couple of the times of the of the time I went to their um to their convention or their conference and uh delightful guy. Uh the uh but but it's connected now I, as far as it being a youth-led movement, it is connected to uh the 
Reconquista uh, movement, which has been a kind of at first at least a social media phenomenon. Uh, from what I knew, an Instagram profile of someone who goes to their Instagram profile name is Redeemed Zoomer. Um, and that person um, is Presbyterian and is in the the mainline Presbyterian denomination, the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA. And their their philosophy and their aim and their mission is to bring the main is to bring mainline Protestantism back to orthodoxy. Um, and le they lament a lot of the directions mainline Protestant churches have taken. And so, but again, he's Presbyterian, and but his 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 desire, his I guess his uh, network he's built is is trying to have an influence on all the mainline. So I think this is perhaps the Episcopal uh incarnation of this uh we could say does that sound right james i mean is that basically yeah better? i mean because yeah. i don't want without knowing the full details of how it came i don't want to speak beyond what i know but i think that's from what i gather on the website and it's not like the website i mean it's it's pretty transparent about what they're about and what they stand for and like i said james and i are very much about uh generally what they're going for <laughs> uh, right as far as tactics and as far as how they they you know how they make their case you know obviously we've spoken a little bit now about you know well we may differ a little bit but um sure. anything else James, before we get into these uh theses well um the the preamble is something that probably we should address uh, if you want to do that now or if you want to do that sure. uh, so, uh, well the um so they first uh, put up a quote from C.S. Lewis, The Case for Christianity. They say, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. Uh, in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive C.S. Lewis, The Case for Christianity. And I can overall agree with that. I kind of gave up on the use of a term like progressive to uh, describe anything meaningful or concrete or specific uh but you know um uh, i would say yeah um as a church we always want to move forward and um what moving forward means is is to advance uh the good news of jesus christ by sharing it more and concretely um you know teaching it to to more people through the ages Right. And how, whatever, however form that can take, but um, uh, for it to progress, <laughs> that's how I would be a progressive. So I would agree. I would agree with C.S. Lewis there. And right. So the preamble reads the following statements are coming from parishioners and priests of the Episcopal Church. Again, these are people who have supported uh, Episcopal Fellowship for Renewal who are committed to its flourishing and faithfulness in true Protestant fashion and in honor of our faith tradition. They will be framed as 95 theses and hopes that unlike the Roman leaders during the Reformation, the Episcopal Church will honor the call to return to the traditional values of the English reformers, the doctors of the Anglican Church, the 39 articles, the catechism of the Book of Common Prayer, the Book of Homilies, the Church Fathers, and the creeds, apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian. Additionally, the three Anglican authorities, scripture, tradition, and reason. Anything to kind of... There were some things I could maybe, and I'm not trying to be, I don't think James and I are trying to be pedantic here, but there are, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, 
we need you know we might need to be more specific about what some of these things may imply but anything in that preamble that um that you like or would critique james so um the the trouble is that you have all of these super expansive categories that involve to a certain extent pretty solidly differing views on some pretty important stuff um i am one who contends uh, that the church fathers actually taught justification by faith um i know a number of people who would say no but doctors of the anglican church is one of those things that is is a, a junk drawer um if you're talking about the doctors of the anglican church you could also be talking about the caroline divines who were not anglican not really um you know people like william laud um and uh lancelot andrews they were all arminians they were um, inviting into Anglicanism something that was not there. So you have to be careful about what you mean when you say doctors of the Anglican Church, because like I said, that's a very expansive category. So your your contention there would be, um, okay, uh, decide what, you know, you're, you're telling the group, pick, pick what you want to do. Do you want to be in the spirit, the reformational spirit of Anglicanism or not? Because if you do, the some of you know you might this might need to be re rethought and how you know who we're appealing to doctor like you're right i agree with you james the doctors yeah. of the Lutheran church that could include uh pusey and newman and i mean even though newman converted that could include the oxford people and it seems like they're um especially jake dell being a reformational anglican i mean you have an evangelical effect anglican uh you know <laughs> I guess maybe theological consistency. I don't know. Now I feel like I'm being uh, really picking them apart, but but because I know they're well, no, all but, kind but of I mean, these... this, is, this language is important, right? So if this is the preamble for a a, a a declaration like these 95 theses, a kind of manifesto, um, then you have to be very careful about your language. So the last sentence, additionally, the three Anglican authorities, scripture, tradition, and reason, um, what has been given the misnomer of the three-legged stool is a really hackneyed way of talking about Anglican hermeneutics. I don't think that's quite fair to Anglican hermeneutics, um, because what tends to be thought of as a three-legged stool, the legs are not all the same length. The, so, the reason leg is very much longer or what they think is reason. Um, right. No, I get it. And uh, so, of course, so scripture is always the top. Scripture is supposed to be able to speak for itself. Um, this is what we mean when we say sola scriptura, that, that scripture is the hermeneutical key for everything. So if something in tradition flies in the face of what scripture says, tradition must be critiqued by scripture. If something in your logic is uh, critiqued by scripture, then, then scripture wins. But what Hooker was talking about with scripture, tradition, and reason is scripture is first, reason is second, because reason is what it takes to arrive at things like homoousios in the creed. It's not a word, homoousios, of the same substance, 
is not a word that's used in scripture, but it's derived from scripture by the use of reason. So we say that Christ is of one substance with the Father in the creed. What we're saying is that reason is how we arrive at that as reason is interpreting scripture. Right, and it, and it the, does not fly in the face of scripture. Uh, you could argue in, in John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no denying it. Um, it's just that word, homoousios, was used in the Nicene Creed as a way of confirming what scripture has already stated elsewhere. Um, and then tradition is at the bottom because tradition is, like with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, tradition is something that must be critiqued because tradition is something that's built up by human beings. So if it's consonant with scripture, great, then that's a tradition that, that needs to be kept. If it's something that is not, then it needs to be dispensed with. A great example is people get up in arms all the time about, quote, traditions in the church. But in the Episcopal church, if something is done more than once, it becomes a tradition. So like, and then people get, people people turn what is adiaphora into a central argument, like how many candles need to be on the altar? Should we use incense? What have you. These are like concerns that many parishes deal with that are utterly adiaphora. And, and like, if this is what becomes central, it needs to be dispensed with the whole argument. In adiaphora, of course, we're meaning, we, we're talking seconds. Things indifferent. Uh, things indifferent. Uh, and, you know, not that it's not a valid concern for whatever reasons it serves, but it's not a matter of salvation and it's not the essence of the church. Yeah. So I'd give the preamble an A minus. <laughs> we're grading them now. I didn't know we were gonna. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't. But but no, it's uh, fine. We can grade the preamble, and we'll yeah. grade all the uh, whatever. We'll we'll see how this goes. Um, the first. So I'll, I'll just kind of read through a few. Um, the Christian bishops, priests, deacons, and other other ministers. This is the first thesis. Hey, Christians, bishops, priests, deacons, and other ministers must not be permitted to deny that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Second is Christian ministers must not be permitted to deny that Jesus physically and bodily rose from the dead. Number three is Christian ministers must not be permitted to deny that Jesus was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Number four, Christian ministers must not be permitted to deny the second coming of Christ. And five, Christian ministers must not be permitted to deny the reality of eternal life. Anything in there? I mean, I basically agree with all five. Um, I have no, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned tone earlier. And some somehow, um, I think for me, what communicates more, and just speaking for me personally, what is more effective with me and I'll just give you an example, like number two. Number two reads, Christian ministers must not be permitted to deny that Jesus physically and bodily rose from the dead. Um, rather than a framing it in prohibitive terms, I would put it in affirmative terms mm -hmm. to say uh, Jesus Christ physically and bodily rose from the dead. You know, like I don't, um, just the whole language of, you know, uh, I don't know, just, just, just the, the, like you can and can't do that. I, I like going back to tone. I wonder how, and we're talking about, you know, obviously 
you know, we, we have boundaries, we have parameters of things, you know, of what is Christian and what is not. And I think, and I agree with these guys that the Episcopal church has, has in its, you know, in the general direction of the, of, as a denomination has always blurred that or, or forsaken that in some, in certain regards. But I also, you know, believe in the, um, the respect to the free conscience enough, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. the respect to the christian who lives in freedom and liberty to not have it be given to them in terms of you must or must not do that rather than we do this mm -hmm. because we're christian yeah Does that yeah. Make sense? yeah so like a great example would be for number one christian bishops priests deacons and other ministers must not be permitted to deny that jesus is truly god what you could say is christian bishops priests and deacons believe that jesus is truly god and truly man exactly that's exactly exactly like um because that's enough to it's like that implies that you know this is what marks us as christians rather than right. saying you know well um, and it also you are not permitted to what's yeah, that it, it, it also implies the negative it implies the negative exactly. if you are not if you do not believe that jesus is the god man mm -hmm. then you are you're you're leaving behind the christian faith because that's right. that's part and parcel mm -hmm. um so so but you say that in a way by by making it the positive you're focusing on these are the things that we affirm and and it goes right back to what you were saying what was saying in the the um the preamble that you know we affirm the creeds mm -hmm. okay if we affirm the creeds then this is this is creedal Right. This is this is at the heart of what we're saying when we when we talk about who we believe Jesus is. Right. Um, so, yeah. And I get the concern because, you know, here I thought, you know, I thought with kind of the, the you know, the different the. The progressive Christian. Um, the, the manifestations of progressive Christianity that we've been seeing in the social media and the blogosphere and the Twitter sphere and in the, in the books and in, you know, on Pathios and things like that. Um, you know, they, they I haven't heard um, the, the, you know, the whole like people denying Jesus rose from the dead. I feel like that's a very like kind of older liberal Christian thing. I haven't noticed it much lately, but then the last like two months, I don't know, for whatever reason I'm noticing uh, main some mainline clergy people I know sharing pictures of Spong with quotes from Spong about stuff, right. and I'm like, oh Lord, you know. So I get like, um, you know, the insistence on, you know, uh, the r r reminding ourselves that what the resurrection is that it's tied to a concrete, um, you know, rising of a raising of a physical body. So it, it right. You know, seems like you know, people. It'll die down for a while, then it'll resurge. This whole idea of like the the resurrection can is is other things besides that. But anyways, well, the the one of the ones that was bigger when I was in seminary was um, the virgin birth, and so number three, Christian ministers must not be permitted to deny that Jesus was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. For one thing, the language needs to be a bit more clear here. So. No one's denying that Mary gave birth to Jesus, but that's the way the sentence comes across. Mm -hmm. So what we say is Christian ministers believe 
that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, mm -hmm. as in Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say Christian ministers believe that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, that gets the point across. Right. Let's do the next few. Uh, that since number six is that since the apostles and Nicene creeds affirm all of the above doctrines, Christian ministers who publicly recite them in their churches while privately or subtly denying them are liars. <laughs> it's punchy. I agree. Right. Again, it's punchy. Number right. seven, <laughs> Christian ministers must affirm the authority of scriptures, the word of God. Any denial of scripture's authority in the in the determination of doctrine and administration of discipline shall not be tolerated. Eight, Christian ministers must affirm the authority and divine inspiration of Holy Scripture and avoid questioning it on the basis that is it is a culturally relative or historically unreliable text. Number nine, Christian ministers must readily affirm the promise of eternal life after death in the new creation so that the faithful may be given true hope in Christ. Number 10, Christian ministers who attack the authority of Christ, the apostles, the church fathers, the English reformers, or the doctors of the church attack the very ground they stand on. I didn't expect to have as much qualm as I, as I just realized I do with some of these. Can I go with, can I kind of elaborate? The number seven and eight, um, which talks about affirming the authority of scripture and the divine inspiration. Those are both things that need more unpacking because we've done an episode on this podcast on the Seminex controversy at Concordia Seminary. This took place, this wasn't in an Episcopal Anglican situation. This was in the Lutheran Church, where seminary was split apart um, uh, over the issue of the inspiration of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. How I see it, kind of as an outsider looking in, the way I see it, and years later when the situation isn't as heated, is that there were indeed a lot of theologians and I mean, faculty at the seminary who were teaching, I mean, for lack of a better term, very liberal way, approaches to the scripture that were flat out, like out of concordance with like what it is to be a Lutheran. And they were employing historical criticism in such a way to call into question some things that if removed, remove very foundational things about what we believe as Christians. Um, there were quite, there was a lot of that. A lot of it was like kind of, I've heard it described as, you know, it took his, historical criticism a little bit longer than in mo other than the main line to leak into the Missouri Senate. It was like people in a candy store, mm -hmm. but there was, an equal in many ways an equal opposite reaction to that by rightist reactionaries who held a very like quasi-verbal plenary inspirational view of of how scripture is inspired um and this had a very kind of crass literalist sense of scripture to the point where they were really just having a lot of bickers there over like the historicity of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, and you have precedence early in the early years of the church. I see Genesis though, the early Genesis as allegorical. And um, it does not, for me, that doesn't, um, that doesn't 
that doesn't trouble me. That doesn't, you know, I, I'm able to, to, that doesn't for me like jeopardize the stability of, of the doctrine of doctrine of original sin or anything. Like it doesn't call into question those things for me. And maybe because I'm, you know, more been a Christian have wrestled with that for a while, but it's, I'm not troubled by that. Mm-hmm. And I know some people would say that, you know, some, you know, people would say, well, it's a very liberal position, like people from, you know, or, or I guess very conservative evangelical or fund fundamentalist type setting. So, you know, it's, it's, you, so all to say is that explain more what you mean by authority and divine inspiration of scripture. Maybe some of these theses that were repeats of other things, use some of that to, 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 to give a, uh, an understanding of what a good approach to scripture is. Um, right. And then also with number 10, again, like you said, the doctors of the church, uh, and in the church fathers, I would contend this, like number 10, I'll just repeat it. Christian ministers who attack the authority of Christ, the apostles, the church fathers, the English reformers, or the doctors of the church attack the very ground they stand on. I would agree with most of those groups you've given, except for the church fathers. Um, and this, we may even, I may even be different from you a little bit here, James, but I don't think just because the church father said it, I don't believe it. it is true. Um, oh, no, we agree on that. We and the church, and I think you, you and I both agree that the early church is not unanimous on a lot of topics, some essential topics, not just secondary. Right. I think, I think a lot of church fathers did teach justification by faith alone. I thought, I think other church fathers taught uh, justification by faith with works. So, oh, absolutely. You know, so um, the church fathers for me are, I think, in certain occasions and situations they're good to appeal to mm-hmm. and i greatly admire uh several of them who i regularly quote from in sermons like saint john Chrys- chrysostom um you know saint augustine kind of the the uh, at the the later outer edge of antiquity you know uh but the but so there's lots of people in the early church i like but um you know to me it it's kind of i'm kind of indifferent about the weight they carry, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm sorry well, James, I, I, talk for a while, but go no, ahead. No, 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 that's, that's, that's fine. I think, I think you're hitting on something that's important here is that when they're put in this line, it makes them seem as if in this list, it makes them seem as if they're all of equal authority. And I think that's problematic because you're right. There is no patristic consensus about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and some people who would be called fathers like Tertullian or Origen ended up being declared heretics by the church for some of the other beliefs that they had. Like Tertullian ended up being a Montanist or Origen believed in the preexistence of the soul. So like um, not everything that comes out of one of the church fathers is good or healthy. And that's why we need the hermeneutical tool of scripture itself to critique the fathers. If the fathers are not accurately expounding on scripture, then they need to be critiqued. But it's not the other way around. It's not the fathers, you know, like that's that's the that that's the the sort of chicken and egg mentality of a lot of argumentation around um scripture and the church is which came first, the church or scripture? Did the did the scriptures come from the church or did the church bear out the scriptures? Um uh, or did the, did the scriptures bear out the church is what I mean. Um, and ultimately, I don't think you can say that uh, the church gave us the scriptures because the church simply recognized 
what God had already inspired in these scriptures. The church already recognized that these are words from God through his servants, the apostles and prophets. So by, by saying that, by, by recognizing that historical fact, the scriptures must have authority even over the church. So, so again, that's, that's a, an excursus, but no, it, it reminded me of a tweet I recently saw of a Catholic, uh, a Roman Catholic apologist trying to dunk on Protestants and Sola Scriptura. It mm-hmm. was the worst analogy because it totally backfires. They tried to say like, imagine having a constitution without a government. You need someone to enforce the constitution. And it's like, no, that's actually an argument for Sola Scriptura because Sola right. Scriptura says that the, the just like the government is bound by what the Constitution says and cannot do anything outside of what the Constitution said, and whether they do or not, it's a whole different argument. Right. That's the same with script. That's the same. It's this not the same, obviously, but but it's a that's an analogy between the scripture and the church in in the teaching of Sola Scriptura. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I can't believe exactly. I saw that. I'm like, literally, like you would be like, this is your view. You would be like a perfect Lutheran or Reformed person <laughs> or Anglican. Right. So right, right. <laughs> anyways, um, let's go through some more. Uh, okay. I left off at 10. Okay. Number 11. Christian ministers must affirm the existence of miracles as scripture testifies. The church must 12, the church must affirm the reality of original sin. Uh, Number 13, the church must affirm the reality of God's judgment upon sin. Number 14, the church has no authority to explicitly deny the existence of eternal damnation, given that Jesus spoke so plainly of it. 15, the church must affirm that God is all-powerful or omnipotent. I'm more than good with all those. And I like how they're worded. Mm -hmm. Um, You know. Number uh, 16, the church must affirm that God is all-knowing or omniscient. Uh, 17, the church must affirm that God is all-good and omnibenevolent. 18, the church must affirm that there is only one true God, eternally composed of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, excuse me, as described in the Nicene and Athanasian creeds. 19, the church must affirm that Christ is the only way to God. 20, the church must affirm that Christianity is absolutely true and the only way to salvation. Again, I agree with all those. Well, I have one word quibble with number 18. The church must affirm that there is only one true God eternally composed of three persons. To say the word composed. Oh, you're being pedantic now. I don't think that's pedantic, (laughs) though. So so composed of, so that would violate what's called the doctrine of divine simplicity, that God has no parts. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's it's very... um... Would comprise be a better word? Or yeah, more? comprises yeah. three yeah. persons. Um, it, it, that that's perfectly fine because uh, we believe in one God who is eternally three persons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so just that one word, like that, that kind of grates on the ears a bit. Ultimately, I know what they're getting at because they're already saying, as described in the Nicene and Athanasian creeds, and the Athanasian creed is nothing if not very specific about the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I buy it. It's just language does matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, 
21, given that the foundational documents of the Anglican Church, principally the 39 Articles of Religion of 1571, uphold all of the above doctrines, the Church does not have the authority to deny said doctrines. I think that's my favorite one of all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> while number 22, while liberation theology and the social gospel contain elements of truth, they cannot take the place of the biblical gospel as they change its message from redemption of sin and eternal life into the belief in an earthly utopia. That's my second favorite. I do like that a lot. I, um, yeah, it, I mean, liberation theology and social gospel. I mean, they're, they're obviously two different things and one originate, one is more of a North American phenomenon, the more of a Central American phenomenon. I mean, at least in their, their, how they were conceived and right. They come from different periods in time. I get the concerns, uh, much more with liberation theology and the social gospel. I get the concerns that led to um, that, uh, I guess, theological ethos. But um, they, they, they do become susceptible uh, to human ideology that perverts. Um, yeah, where where it perverts the 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 biblical gospel in such a way, um, you know, biblical for me, biblical gospel is always repentance and redemption are key, key pillars of the gospel, mm -hmm. and um, you know, often it's those two, one of those two pillars gets eroded, uh, when liberation theology and social gospel go off the rails, but you know, yeah. And, uh, you know, liberation theology and social gospel have an overcooked, overrealized eschatology that doesn't meet with what scripture actually says. Right. Um, yeah. It's, um, you know, we're, we're going to build the kingdom of God and, you know, it's as, it's as concrete and straightforward as this, uh, this social project you know, or this social and political vision that we have. Yeah. Well, sure. and, and that's, that's only consonant with what is said in verse or in, in, in verse. Wow. Uh, in number 21, uh, which is in the 39 articles, there's an article against works of super irrigation. There's also an article about justification by grace through faith alone. Those two sort of, negate the possibility of liberation theology and social gospel being in essence christian no i agree yeah number 23 pantheism is heretical as it denies the true nature of god all those who teach the doctrine of god as an all-encompassing spiritual oneness are heretics and should be condemned as such again punchy um Process theology denies God's absolute eternal nature and replaces it with pantheism. Therefore, it should not be taught in Christ's church. I don't even I don't mind the punchiness of that one, because I think that instead of condemning people as heretics, what they're saying is this is not an acceptable teaching for the church. Right. Um. 25, while we can unite with other religions in earthly matters, such as promoting understanding and the common good, we cannot unite with them in spiritual matters. Um, 
can't argue with that one at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I enjoyed the, the friendship. I enjoyed the fellowship I had at Rotary today where there were some, you know, different kinds of Christians and some Jews and some non-religious working for common good. Um, sure. You know, and it's, there's a way of doing it. I mean, there, there is not to be dualistic, but there is a, there are earthly and spiritual ways to go about doing things. And one thing I respect about the reformational tradition is that it, 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 it really draws from that distinction a lot, whether it's yeah. the, the theology of nature or the theology of revelation, the righteousness from below or the righteousness from above that Luther spoke of. Um, there's, you know, we, um, it's always, for me, that's always been a helpful guide on how to live in the world mm-hmm. um, as a Christian to know that we're citizens of two kingdoms um, and to know that there's, there's a purpose for uh, there's a, there's a purpose for government and there's a purpose for church. They're not the same purpose. There's um, but you know, it's, it's all God's world. And, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get, <laughs> I'm getting way that in the weeds of that, but no, I got I, you. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Um, Number 26 agnostic atheistic hindu buddhist pagan wiccan satanist or otherwise occultic religious beliefs practices symbols rituals and idols are to be utterly rejected and should never be allowed in christ church uh definitely agree with that um i do too although uh linking hinduism and buddhism with paganism wiccanism satanism agnosticism and atheism um yeah, I think there should as, be as all being occultic. That's that's unnecessarily controversial. Is that how it was worded though? Did it say it says or otherwise, otherwise occultic occult. religious yeah, beliefs? Which... I don't think it's fair to the to to the Eastern religions, and not just because they're old and um, you know, it's very established, you know, religions, you know, but it's um, they to me, I would say some of those some of those religions or even viewpoint or lack thereof worldviews are subversive of the gospel intentionally while others are then sound uncharitable, but ignorant of the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a distinct, that's an, that is an important distinction. Um, I would say, okay, uh, let's, let's go through number 32 and call it a day. Does that sound okay. good? Number 27, there's only one God in the Old and New Testaments, and to deny that it is to, to deny that is to make God's relative change to get to make God relative, changeable, and not absolute. Yep. Um definitely agree. Uh 28, the purpose of studying theology is to approach the absolute truth about God and reflect on what he has revealed to us. Right. Um, I don't think that should be a license to to squash uh healthy levels of creativity, skepticism, or a uh, and not to have patience with how we arrive to truth, mm-hmm. um, but but definitely, yeah, the theology is not just some humanity to humanities feel that we can look so spectacularly brilliant of mastering and getting published in and and you know putting on our CV and you know theology is 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 for God, not for us. So I wonder if this is uh, also perhaps a. Um, a shot across the bow of the postmodern theology. Um, or just, yeah, a lot of the modern too. <laughs> like sure, sure. Just a lot sure. of academic theology. Yeah. It's, 
Um, 30, ministers whose theology is essentially Unitarian Universalist should stop calling themselves Episcopalian or Anglican and recuse themselves from the positions of the church. This one was a bit snarky. It was like, that's a cheap shot. Like, you've already, they've already said that in other, they've mm-hmm. already said that in other theses. They're kind of just calling out a group now. Uh, that that one I found kind of laughable. Um, well, yeah, but so, so so that is, you know, if they wanted to write a commentary on their theses, you know, right. the commentary <laughs> on the first five. Right. right? <laughs> like so if you deny the essential truths of Christianity mm-hmm. and are functionally a Unitarian Universalist, you cease to be, in essence, a Christian minister. Right. Um, 31, the church should be much quicker to discipline ministers who deny the divinity of Christ than to discipline ministers who will not bless same-sex unions or who decline to ordain women to the priesthood. I definitely can agree with that. Absolutely. I I support support women in priesthood. People should know that who listen to us. You're married. And I'm married to one. (laughs) Yeah, you're married to one. And, um, you know, uh, but yeah, it seems it just seems sad to me that um and i won't i'll be careful how about it but but i I was sad to see um what happened to bishop love Um, and but to know that there were bishops who have denied christ's divinity who bishop pike got to stay in yeah we we can not to name names but they're so obvious pike spong Right, uh, but it's like, but they were celebrated leaders of the. They were celebrated as, and and and, and especially Pike, he was lifted as kind of like the spokesperson of the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Now there a were there, there there were a significant group in the House of Bishops who were um, against what he was saying, but um, their their success, their efforts at disciplining were unsuccessful. While the disciplining of um, Bishop Love was successful. And um, that case against him was questionable. Uh, and I don't want to get into the details of it, but a lot's been said about, you know, uh, convention decisions, resolutions versus mm-hmm. the authority of the prayer book. I mean, it's it's not clear cut that he, mm-hmm. you know, violated anyways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it, that's it's not clear cut as, as the way that it came across is that the decision had already been made. And that what the ruling was, was the result of what you would call a kangaroo court. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's unfair at all to say. No, uh, it's not. Uh, we're, we just got probably blackballed by everybody. Uh, <laughs> well, just me, just me. You you didn't say it. I kind of said it. Um, <laughs> I was I was beating around the bush a little bit, but, um, but I was, okay. And then here's the last one before we close and we'll have more to come. Everyone should be held to the same standard of Christian sexual ethics, regardless of orientation or personal situation. Hypocritically condemning some sin while ignoring others is not righteous. And I agree with this. Um, this will be, I do want to mention, because um, this will be more in our next session. Um, some of these articles I took issue with what I, especially the ones that, that really touch on ethics, whether sexual ethics or ethics, got a little bit moralistic for me. Or maybe not intentionally, but they leave the room for the same type of, uh, you know, purity culture that that, you know, in in 
the evangelical churches and more conservative churches that really alienated a lot of people. Right. Uh, you know, uh, a very uh, hyper focus on personal sin, uh, especially when it comes to sexual sexuality and sex. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, I'm, uh, you know, I just think that we should we should try to you know, we we should recognize sin, but also not um, go down the road of of legalism. Right. And um, I I just didn't see anything in these theses which really. Um, uh, emphasize that or, you know, being, being mindful of, um, where to put, where to put the brakes on how we approach the calling out of sin. Mm-hmm. And, um, I hate to say it, not a lot about grace mm-hmm. in a lot of these are, I mean, and that's what we're all about here at this podcast. And, you know, that's why we bring mockingbird folks on. Mm-hmm. I guess that's because we're antinomians, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, no, yeah. I mean, I think I think that you're right. There should be far more focus on grace because the gospel is the gospel of grace. And if we're if we are using the word gospel, then we need to be clear on what gospel is. Right. Um, and next time we're going to see a number of references to gospel. We've mm-hmm. already seen a number of them here. But the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you and for your salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel is not, you must do these things. Yes. One of my favorite quotations from Luther is, um, uh, I'm not going to get it 100% right, but um, or maybe I will, we'll see. He says uh, that the law says, do this and it will never be done. Uh the gospel says, believe this and it is already done. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we need to be mindful about the terminology, which I, I've harped on that and probably beaten a dead horse by now, but, but terminology really does matter because if, if we're expecting to have um, a discourse about this, mm-hmm. then we need to be clear on terms or else we're going to be arguing on different levels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think with, you know, there's, with with Jake being a part of EFAC, uh Jake Dell and and um some of the others involved with this group, I think they 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 are definitely on that same wavelength as we are and what on on what the gospel is and while identifying what that is first off makes a world of a difference between how we even proceed further with right anything related to the faith. So um but yeah we'll we'll do we'll dig into more of these we went through 32 or we're like a third of the way through and we'll do two more episodes they won't be immediately following this one because we have some other topics we're covering um uh, including next week james and i'll be back with our friend kyle god willing uh that we're all uh able to make it and um for and talk about the movies about martin luther um and which one we like the most of the two main ones, but right. um, not to spoil too much, but there was a whole lot more. There's a whole lot of movies made about Martin Luther, as sure. I've discovered. <laughs> so, um, and some that will possible that will be impossible for us to ever see for different reasons. So, if you're curious right. about that, uh, stay tuned for our next episode. And James, it was a uh, good to go through some of these and look forward to the next one. Absolutely.